Well, I think one of the things you have to do is don't be stressed about where we're going for the regional tournament. Um, what, whatever site they send us to, whatever golf course, that's your favorite golf course in the whole world. Uh, you're going to love where they're sending you. You're going to love the travel. You're going to love everything about the experience because you can't take it any other way. We have no choice right now. We don't have any way of uh, creating our own destiny. We've, we've played the golf we've played to this point, and that will get us a regional assignment someplace. Hello and welcome back to Making the Turn. I'm your host, Vince Draman. Really excited for today's episode. Uh, we have legendary college golf coach Mike McGraw joining us today. Mike is currently the head coach at the University of Baylor. He has also been the head golf coach at Oklahoma State University where he won a national championship and coached multiple NCAA All-Americans and PGA Tour winners. He was also the assistant coach for a year at the University of Alabama under coach Jay Sewell where he got to coach... Uh, an NCAA championship team there as well. So really excited to have Coach McGraw join us on the podcast today. We're talking a recap of the Big 12 championships in men's golf that took place at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. We're also looking forward to NCAA regionals and talking through some of the things that Coach McGraw does in his coaching style and in the way that he goes about his job. So if you guys are ready, let's get straight into it. This is episode 16 of Making the Turn with Baylor head coach Mike McGraw. Hats forward, headphones on, let's go! Hello and welcome back to the Making the Turn podcast. I'm your host, Vince Draman. Really excited today to be joined by Coach Mike McGraw from the Baylor Bears. Uh, Coach, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Vince, thanks for having me on today. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Uh, super excited about it. Coach is someone who's been a big influence on me in my coaching career. Uh, he's somebody who we've never actually met in person, but he's always taken the time and set aside time to help me and uh, really helped me grow as a coach. And so really excited to have him on. And he's super awesome to talk to, super influential, and excited to, to hear what he has to say today. So, Coach, why don't you start by just kind of going into – uh, big 12s that you guys just returned from. I know you guys were out in West Virginia. Talk a little bit about the week. I know you guys had some bad weather and some other stuff, but just week as a whole, kind of a initial reactions for you and your team. Why don't you go ahead and dive into it? Well, my first reaction was uh, I really enjoyed the golf course. I thought it was great. You know, it's a PGA Tour course, obviously, so it's going to be a good golf course. But uh, I had actually played it in 1976 when I was a young boy. And um, but it didn't look like it did not look the same. And obviously the guys that I coach hit it a lot further than I did in 1976, <laughs> but I really enjoyed the golf course. It was great. You know, we had some kind of bad, the weather was perfect for the practice round and then it literally rained all night and all day next day. And so we didn't get to play on, on uh, Friday at all. So they decided to go with 36 holes on Saturday. We had pretty good weather actually for Saturday. It was good. And Sunday, the same. It got breezy on Sunday, but as far as my just overall reaction, I was a little disappointed in our first round. We didn't play well at all. Um, I think TCU was leading at seven under, and we shot 13 over, so we were 20 shots behind. Just too big a hole to dig, and we played very well the last two rounds, but unfortunately, the guys came out of the box a little bit slow and and just didn't play well the first day, and the weather was good, too, the first day. It wasn't like uh, we suffered from bad weather. We just didn't play well. 
Gotcha. Um, and playing in the Big 12, obviously you've coached in the Big 12 for two different teams now, but uh, a very, very strong conference and just continues to, to keep getting better. So talk a little bit just about the competition, the talent level, uh, kind of how that has progressed over the years and how you guys feel when, when you get to see those Big 12 teams all the time. Well, I think that when you start your conference with Oklahoma State, that's a good place to start. They obviously have been very, very good for a long, long time. Uh, Texas has traditionally been a great power in the conference. Oklahoma in the last 10 years and actually in the late 80s and early 90s was a great power. So those three teams to start with are perennial, really, really great teams. So that's awesome. And then you have uh, Texas Tech, who in recent years, Greg Sands has done an amazing job. I think before he got to to Texas Tech, they probably had gone to the national championship one time in the last 25 years before he got there. And they basically are there every year. And he's got them ranked in the top 10 this year. And then we've done pretty well. I think uh, we've got a little uh, some left in the tank, I think. But we've done well. And Kansas and Kansas State have both improved. And, and the short amount of time that uh, Andrew Tank has been at Iowa State and definitely uh, – Sean Kovich at West Virginia has built a program from ground up in just three years. So, you know, the conference is very well respected. I'm pretty sure we're going to have maybe nine, maybe 10 teams uh, going to regionals. So it's, it's a great conference. And I think the last two national champions have come from our conference and Texas won back in 2012. So uh, great traditions at a lot of these schools and really good teams right now. Awesome. Uh, and so, Looking forward to regionals a little bit. You guys will find out tomorrow where you where you wind up going for regionals. Uh, but what is your message to the team? What's your guys' mindset as you try to get prepared for another postseason run? Well, I think one of the things you have to do is don't be stressed about where we're going for the regional tournament. Um, what whatever site they send us to whatever golf course that's your favorite golf course in the whole world uh, you're going to love where they're sending you you're going to love the travel you're going to love everything about the experience because you can't take it any other way we have no choice right now we don't have any way of uh, creating our own destiny we've, we've played the golf we've played to this point and that will get us a regional assignment someplace and so I'm already looking forward to wherever that is and I think you know if, if it was close to home great if it's not we're fine. I remember three years ago, we were sent to uh, Kohler, Wisconsin. I thought, wow, that's a long way up there. And we, I think we had 17 birdies in the last eight holes to, to uh, finish third in the tournament. So, you know, just because you travel uh, a good bit away from your hometown doesn't mean a thing. So I think whatever course we're going to is my favorite, new favorite home course. Awesome. I love to hear that. Uh, talk a little bit about your team so far this year. Um, how you guys have kind of played up to this point, how you felt about the team and the guys on your team and just kind of the, the way things have gone, dating all the way back to the fall and, and kind of heading up into the spring and obviously up through this week when you guys were at the Big 12s in West Virginia. Right. Well, we, I mean, the season has been a little bit of feast or famine. We've had uh, two or three really good tournaments, uh, three or four average ones, but then several that were just – or two or three that weren't very good at all. And we started the season with a 13th place finish at Olympia Fields, which uh, wasn't very good. And that kind of got us behind the eight ball. But we came back really nicely and won Trinity Forest, SMU's home tournament. Then we won the Big 12 Match Play Championship, which was a real uh, exciting time for our, our players. Um, so, I mean, we've had all kinds of great things happen and some things that weren't so great. We have – I think have, as I said earlier, a little more in the tank. And I think that we've got some guys trending in a good way. So 
the first round of the Big 12 championship, I hope, is no indicator because we played really well the last two rounds. I think Oklahoma State, maybe one other team might have had a lower final 36 holes than we did. But basically, had we played like that from the start, we'd have been in the hunt. And we didn't. But uh, they, they came back nicely with a good afternoon round of six under par the second round at, at the Greenbrier. Shot one under par the last round. Uh, but we did bogey. He had four bogeys on the last hole. So that kind of hurt our finish. But I'm happy with uh, our guys in a lot of ways. They've um, had nine straight semesters of 3.5 or higher as a team GPA. So I'm real proud of that. I've had um, got one guy who was an Elite 90 Award winner last year, uh, Colin Cover, who the highest GPA at the NCAA championship. So we got a lot of things to celebrate with the way they handle themselves, um, with the way they conduct themselves in the classroom, all the good things you want. We just need a little bit better performance on the golf course, but I'm not concerned. I'm really thinking they're actually trending in a good direction. Awesome. Uh, and I know you've had the chance to be at Baylor for a couple years now. Um, and so you've been able to see these guys grow, specifically your juniors and seniors, your upperclassmen. And um, I know we had talked at one point in time when they were younger, freshman and sophomore, and we were kind of talking about some of the, the growing pains they were going through from a golf course standpoint and trying to work on the mental attitude and that kind of stuff. And so talk just a little bit about the progression that you've seen in, in some of the guys that you have leading this team now and some of the guys that are up there kind of as the, the faces of your program this year. Right. Well, we've got uh, two seniors, uh, Garrett May and Braden Bailey. And, you know, without getting into the minutia of exactly what's happened in each of their careers, but, you know, I, I think about Garrett May and I think he's what you want in a, in a student athlete. He came here as kind of an immature kid, didn't have everything all put together and kind of struggled with his emotions on a golf course. And he struggled with uh, course strategy as well. And uh, he's won basically every battle I've asked him to fight. He's eventually won all of those battles. And I don't know what you can ask more of a player, but to take those things where he's not strong or take the things that are holding him back and eliminate those from the equation. Um, his final two rounds at, at the Green Bar were 66-66. And uh, he's had nine of his last 11 competitive rounds for us have been 70 or lower. Now, he didn't have a good start to the year, but I would attribute that to basically – uh, just immaturity about how he played the game of golf. But he's learning that. He's getting that. Braden Bailey has had his ups and downs as well. But uh, Braden has come so far in his last two or three tournaments. He's had, he showed some bright spots uh, that I think are going to help us, you know, in the post, rest of the postseason. So I'm ex excited about those two. Cooper Dossie has fought through injury basically his whole career. Uh, but he's been an All-American before, and he's won a couple of college golf tournaments. So he's done a lot of really good things. And Cooper, uh, you know, we're at, we're at a Christian school, and so our faith is very important to us. And, and Cooper's really, really in a good place there. So I think as, he go, as that goes, so goes his golf. And uh, I think his golf's getting a lot, lot better. So I have a lot of things you could say about each individual person, but uh, suffice it to say that I think as a team, they've come together closer than any team I've had in five years at Baylor. So I think that's worth something as you go down to the stretch run of the season. They get along extremely well. They push each other and they're just good teammates, which I really like seeing. Awesome. That's great. Um, and obviously a lot of that goes back to the culture and some of the things that you've learned as a coach, some of the things that you're trying to implement with your teams and with your programs. Uh, and so talk a little bit just about your 
coaching style, how you kind of view your role as the head coach of a prominent Big 12 golf team? I mean, obviously, there's a lot that goes into it, but how do you kind of view what you do and, and how you approach your job every day? Well, um, there's a school of thought that existed for a long, long time, and it still exists in some corners, that uh, it's my way or the highway. Um, I don't believe in that. I probably, as a young boy, thought that's the way coaches were. You know, I've got all the expertise. I know what I'm talking about, and the student athlete doesn't. Uh, but I don't believe that. I think that I have – they have one – two coaches, myself and Ryan Black, and I've got nine coaches. Uh, counting Ryan Black, I've got ten. So every player in the team can help me learn something. And so I think while I know I have some answers and I know that uh, – experience counts for something but if experience counted for everything they never would have landed on the moon so um it does account for something but i don't think it's the most important part of it i think uh, allowing and, and enabling your players to actually make decisions uh, letting them understand cause and effect when i do this this happens if if they can kind of understand that they, they learn um as a coach, uh, I've learned through the years being vulnerable is actually one of the strongest things I can do. So uh, instead of my way of the highway, I've got all the answers. I know what I'm talking about. And I'm stronger than you and I know more than you. Instead of that, it's like, well, how can together you and I, you the player, me the coach, figure out your best answers? That's what I'm looking for because we both want the same thing. I want you to be a great player and you want to be a great player and you want to have a great experience at Baylor. I want you to have that. So I think probably the best thing I've learned to do through the years is be vulnerable and be open instead of closed-minded because it's very tempting to think, well, I've been doing this for 34 years. Surely I've got the answers. I have some, but I don't have them all. So um, being vulnerable and allowing players to help you in the, in the uh, coaching process is actually very valuable. Awesome. Um, and then before we get into some of the, the on-course coaching stuff and that, obviously you re referenced it earlier when you talked about nine straight semesters of 3.5 GPA or higher. Um, at a school your size and that competes at the level you do, you don't always necessarily see that. So what do you attribute the, the academic success to? Do you think it's a part of your program culture? Do you think it's something that you guys have set up at Baylor? Does it come in the recruiting process? Where, do, where does that success in the classroom come from? you I think it starts in the recruiting process because I have to streamline my recruiting if, if a young man in high school is not a good student he's not going to be successful at Baylor and his, his golf is not going to is going to suffer as well so uh, I started recruiting I try to find kids who I think academically make a good fit and then we have a great academic support team here uh, a, a man named Aaron Tebow is sort of their academic coach uh, he's right on top of it I get an email from him every Sunday night tells how everybody's progressed during the week and grade checks every single week. I know exactly how everybody's doing. And then he, he and I support each other with respect to towing the line and getting the guys to do the work. So I think it's a combination of I try to get people here initially that I think will be a good academic fit and then holding them accountable once they get here. But, you know, it's, there's a lot set up uh, for success if, if the young men will take advantage of it. So it's part, partly recruiting, but uh, I think a good portion of it is uh, once they get here, we just hold them accountable to that standard. Awesome. Um, and then at, at a program like yours where you have student athletes coming in who are already highly successful on the golf course by the time they reach you, um, what in terms of like golf performance and trying to help with the teaching and the coaching aspect of on the golf course and in practice, where do you feel like your 
biggest role is? Are you helping guys work on course management and the mental side of things? Are you helping guys work on technique and that kind of stuff? Where do you feel like your biggest impact is when it comes to them and, and their golf and their maturity and trying to help them shoot lower scores? Well, I think you're trying to do everything you can to show them uh, where they're falling short. And, and by the way, I want that same finger pointed at me as well. I want them to tell me when they think I'm not helping them or what I'm saying isn't resonating or it's not helping. But basically finding where their shortcomings are and then trying to design a practice or trying to design uh, daily practices that will actually make a dent on that and actually help them improve that. And then uh, evaluating what's happened once we do play a competition. I mean, I think of a, a competition, a tournament, as just a competitive examination. It's just a competitive test. You find out, it tells you where you are, and then you do your best to reevaluate that. Uh, then as a player and a coach, you get together and you just say, okay, what could I do to change these things? And if a kid is stubborn or if a coach is stubborn, you're probably going to run into some roadblocks. But if they're both open to, hey, we both want the same thing, let's both figure out how to make you better. Uh, but it does take some work. It doesn't take just, uh, okay, go hit more golf balls. That's not necessarily it. So I think the answer is different for all nine players. And my suggestions will be different for all nine players and everybody's in a different place. So if we can do that together and they see it as a team effort between me and them, then they're doing their part individually to help the collective, you know, the, the entire team. And that's, that's what we're trying to get out of it anyway. Awesome. Um, and then when you look at the help that you have in, in coach Blag, obviously a, a Jan, Jan Strickland award winner and a very well recognized assistant coach, what role does he play in your program and in helping you make sure that, that you guys are helping out your nine guys as much as possible? Well, he's, uh, he's really good at player development, and uh, he's a pretty straightforward guy, so he'll tell you what he thinks, which is great. Um, and he's really, really smart. And he's probably one of the most detail-oriented and follow-through type people that I've ever seen. So those are his strengths and uh, his weaknesses. He and I have talked about, but he's talked about my weaknesses as well. And again, vulnerability, it's huge to be able to look at yourself and say, you know, because if you're going to point that same finger – at a player and say, do this, do that. This is where you're falling short. This is, you have to be able to have it come in your direction as well. It doesn't sound real comfortable to people, but neither is the confrontations you have with a player. Those aren't comfortable and they're not fun. But if we're going to grow as a coach, as a player, and have that relationship mean something more than just checking off a box, uh, then I'm going to wake up every day when I get here to the office. My job is to try to figure out ways to make the team better. Well, that's what Ryan Blagg does every day. You know, he comes in, we meet every morning and talk about our team every single day. At some point we're talking, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour, about things we think we need to do. This morning we were talking about a strategy he and I uh, are doing when we're walking with players during a tournament. And anyway, we were talking about that. You're like, are we falling short here? Is there something we could change? So the great thing about Ryan is he's always thinking and he's always challenging himself and, and me as well. So I think we complement each other pretty well that way. Awesome. Um, and how important is that trust is that relationship that you have with him in order to, to make sure that you guys are giving your best to the team and to the guys that, that you're trying to help lead as a group? Well, it's important that the players can see that uh, I do take input from Ryan uh, and it's important uh, for them to see that I'm running the program. So ultimately I'm running the program, but I take a lot of input from Ryan and what he says. Uh, he was a good player himself. And you, you think about it, he's got something to offer. Let's get all of his 
uh, everything he has to offer. Let's get it all out there. So I think the guys see that there's a good working relationship uh, between the two of us and we're completely different human beings. I mean, not even close. So, um, other than we both have a good work ethic and other than we're both pretty detail oriented, the rest of it is all different. So that's great for the kids because the players and the team can see these two completely opposite, different type of personalities uh, that complement each other. It works. And, uh, you know, whenever Ryan does get his opportunity to be a head coach, uh, there's going to be a hole uh, left here at Baylor. I mean, he's, he's done a lot of really good work over the last uh, six or seven years that he's been here. So, um, I'm hoping he gets his opportunity, and I think that'll come sooner rather than later. But he's done a great job while he's been here. And, uh, you know, while he's here, we're getting every bit of him we can. That's awesome. Uh, you mentioned it also earlier, but just talk a, a little bit about your on-course strategy when it comes to coaching. Um, I know you and Ryan typically kind of segment it to where you're both walking with an individual guy for each round. So talk a little bit about uh, kind of how you came to that strategy, what you feel like it it helps, and why you guys go about things the way you do with your program. When I first got to Oklahoma State, um, Mike Holder told me that he felt like uh, the best way you could have an impact on a player was to find out as much about him in a competitive way. W when he's competing, what are his thought processes? When he's competing, what are his weaknesses? When he's actually playing in a tournament, what causes these 70? You, you see a score, 73. And that's the number, but how did he get there? Well, if I just see him two or three times around, pat him on the back, give him a bottle of water, uh, you know, and cheerlead, that's okay. And he's probably didn't lose anything there, but I don't know if I know anything about him. So uh, I, I like to watch a player play, uh, get his scorecard on the first tee and everything until he signs that scorecard after the round is over. I like to see that. And then I get to see how he, how he makes decisions when he's under pressure, how he makes decisions after a three putt. What, what his body language is when he's up or down, regardless. Uh, after a, a miss hit or an out-of-bounds ball or whatever, how does he handle it? What does he say to himself? What it, how does he react? So if I'm finding out those things, then he and I can have a more intelligent conversation after the tournament or after the round to try to make a plan going forward. So uh, some coaches do it, and most probably don't because it, it kind of feels like you're isolating yourself from the other players. But if all those players that aren't being walked with that particular day know that you will walk with them when asked, then all they have to do is ask. And, yeah, sure, I'll walk with you next time. Some players don't want to coach around, you know, like always there. And that's okay, too. Uh, but they need to be able to be held accountable for the decisions they're making on the golf course. And that's 73 or 68 or whatever it is. How do we get there? And you need to be able to explain to me and articulate that to me, even though I'm not walking with you on the golf course. But. I, I think the most important thing I can do is figure out how to have an impact on his score, on him personally, on who he is as a person, how he handles, how he trains, how he reacts to it, uh, his evaluation process of himself. Uh, if I can start having an impact in that area, then you're going to start to see some growth. And I mentioned earlier Garrett May. I mean, I've walked a lot of golf with Garrett May in his college years at Oklahoma or at Baylor, pardon me. And, uh, Garrett's just been, it's been amazing to see the progression in his game. That's not me. That's him. But I know that I've had some impact on that process. Awesome. Um, and then talk just a, a little bit to kind of what that looks like um, as you walk with these guys, as you talk with them, kind of that post round, post tournament conversation. Obviously, you're trying to help them talk through what they're struggling with and how they can get better. Uh, but how much of that do you see? kind of 
as a reflection of, of what you see and what they see in that conversation, what it looks like after a round or after a tournament when you guys are going through what the next steps are. What is that conversation like? What's that relationship like with you and the player? Well, first of all, I don't like to do it right after the round. Usually the emotions are so raw, uh, they're not listening to you or whatever I'm saying is clouded by my own emotion relative to what just happened. So usually we try to give it a little space, a little time. Um, if a player wants to talk immediately, I will, but I'm not going to force myself, you know, into that equation uh, right after the round. But I, I like to uh, find out from the player what he was feeling when he made a certain decision. Uh, you know, I did, and a perfect example would be one of the players I walked with this week was just running over the golf course, playing beautifully, and then he three-putted the 15th hole. And then it was so obvious, his body language, his countenance, his speed, everything changed immediately. And he knocked a tee ball in the water on the next hole, made a double bogey, didn't birdie an easy hole on the next one, and bogeyed the final hole. So he shot two over par. Um, so this same player in his tournament summary talked to me about, yeah, I, uh, I sped up. I got out of my rhythm. I was, I was completely different than I had been before. Uh, and there was nothing I could say or do at that time to calm him down uh, as it was going on. But he admitted later, I, I, boy, I wish we could have both gotten together in some way, form, or fashion to slow me down because it, it cost him uh, late in the tournament. So, uh, But if I had just seen the final score, 72, I don't know that. I don't know much. I could have even looked at a scorecard uh, of every hole and kind of know, well, he didn't finish well, but how did that come about? And it basically came about because of a three-putt that got him upset. So – it's good to know that because now I probably know how to talk to him or now I know how to talk to him the next time I'm walking with him. I just think it's valuable to be there in the uh, situation. But again, there's some players that don't like having a coach around all the time. And uh, I won't force myself into that uh, equation if he doesn't want it. So, so with your team, if, if you have a player like that who doesn't want to coach at all times, are you trying to check in on them periodically or are you just kind of letting them do their own thing during the round and you talk to them after how do you handle the the player that doesn't quite need you with them at all times they're going to occasionally get a wave from me across a fairway or maybe when we have a delay i may go say hey how's it going you doing well everything good you know you all right something like that i don't ever ask how they stand during a tournament round i think that's silly to know how who cares how you stand it's just what are you doing right now to play this next shot as well as you can but so they'll get some interaction with me maybe. Sometimes if I'm the, with the first group and he's in the last group, the last time I see him is on the driving range tee and then the 18th green when he's finishing. So uh, they're okay with that. I don't want anybody dependent upon me to walk with him for to get a good score. But I'm walking with him not only to improve the score for the team that day, but also to learn as much as I can so that I know this player better than I did before. And if that's the case, then I can better coach him at home while we're training qualifying, practicing, whatever we're doing, uh, and then he and I can talk. Um, perfect example would be Colin Cobra, whose game has really been on an uptick for many, many months now. And basically, Colin's gotten better uh, through more communication with the coaches. And I think it's helped him. And Ryan Black's walked with him a little bit. It's been better. So, you know, I think it's important to get to know your players. Once you do that, then you got a chance to coach them, I think. Awesome. Um, and then obviously being at, at the schools, you've 
been at, you've had a chance to work with a lot of guys who have gone on to have successful professional careers and really be able to pursue golf after college as well. Um, and obviously a lot of the guys that you have on your team now and guys that are looking to come to Baylor are, are looking for that same thing. Um, what does that look like? How does, how does that happen? I guess, how do guys, how are guys able to progress through their time in your program and just through college golf in general and, and be more prepared for what comes next when they're out trying to pursue PGA tour dreams? Right. Well, one of the promises I make, and I only make three to any prospect is one of the promises is if your dream is to play the PGA tour, I can't make you a PGA tour player. Anybody who promises you, they will make you a PGA tour player is lying. It's not going to happen, but you can promise that same prospect. I'll do everything in my power to push you closer to that dream. I'll do everything I can to get you there. So, uh, I generally recruit players or evaluate players who uh, have that dream. If they don't have that dream, I've, I've kind of wondered how committed or how dedicated he's going to be. I, I know I had that dream. I wasn't nearly good enough, but I had the dream. And if they've got that dream, then my, my goal is to keep them headed in that right direction. But to say that I've created tour players is silly. I haven't. Um, I've been able to fortunate enough to be able to have players come in that were not only talented and not only achieved a high level of junior golf and amateur golf, but once they got to college, they continued that. And uh, they still had to get go through the tour school to get a card like anybody else. So that nothing was guaranteed to them. And if they've been able to be successful on the tour, I was just a part of that equation as they went through their whole process. I was a part of it. And hopefully I was a positive influence heading in that direction. Uh, you know, I worked for a man, Mike Holder, I don't know how many players he put on the PGA Tour, but it was a lot. And uh, I was able to do the same, but not not at the same rate. But uh, he didn't put one single player on the PGA Tour. Those were really good players when they got to, to Oklahoma State. And as Kyle Jones was a really good player when he got to Baylor, uh, I only got to coach him one year. And I got to see a pretty good player. Now he's playing the PGA Tour, but I didn't create that player. So... Uh, there's a lot of coaches out there that in the recruiting process will tell a player, look at my record, look at all these great tour players I've produced. What you've done is you've allowed really talented kids to stay motivated, to stay excited and keep pointing in the right direction. That's what you've done as a coach. And to take more credit than that is, is actually wrong. Um, I'm certainly not going to take the blame when they miss out at tour school. I'm certainly not going to take the blame when they uh, quit the game of golf altogether. I'm not, I'm not going to take the credit when they do, but I do make that promise. If that's your dream, then I'll do everything in my power to push you closer to that dream. Awesome. Um, and then obviously I know for you as a coach, both through reading your book better than I found it and just the conversations that we've had, um, you're very much a relationship-based coach. You love to get to know your guys, spend time with them and, and stay in, in as much contact with them as possible. So talk just a little bit about some of your relationships with former players, what that looks like when a guy graduates Baylor or uh, graduates one of the other places you've coached at and is done. How much are, are you trying to stay in contact with them, reach out with them and, and still be a person that is able to be leaned upon and be in their life? Well, I don't, it, it really gets outside of golf. Um, life itself is about relationships and there's a, there's just no way you can exist without relationships with other humans. You'll, you'll just waste away and wither away to nothing. So to me, the very premise of life is about relationships. And for me, it starts with my relationship with Christ. So Jesus Christ is the most important relationship I have. And the next one is my wife. And then the next one is my family members. And then after that, 
it really kind of gets to all the players I've coached. And I've tried the best I can to keep in touch with all of those players, uh, either with a birthday wish, a text, try not to do it on internet, uh, internet or social media. I think that's quite frankly silly. Um, it's okay to retweet something or whatever, but if, if I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody that I deeply care about and that I have a great relationship with, I don't need to have that conversation on social media. That's for a text message or a phone call or an in-person. So I try to do as much of the personal uh, relationship building as I can. And I want to know the names of their kids and I want to know when they have a new baby and I want to know all about their wife and their careers and everything that they do that living life is about. Uh, whether it's playing professional golf or then retiring and doing something else. Uh, I, I'm really excited to hear about those things because to me, uh, it's about relationships. It's about continuing that. And the relationship doesn't end when their ability to shoot a score for Baylor ends. Uh, and honestly, it hopefully began in the recruiting process. That relationship began before they ever hit a golf ball for Baylor. And if you start there and end there, it's pretty good. So uh, I think the four years together, while they're great, I think that they are not the end and it certainly wasn't the beginning either. So I try to keep the relationship going. Awesome. Um, and then before we kind of move on real quick, just one thing I would be reminisced if, if I didn't let you do is tell a story. I know you're a, a great storyteller and I have a great book. I've, I've learned a lot of things just from the stories you've told me. And so if you think about this year, just kind of as a whole, whether it's regular season, big 12, whatever, um, a time that really kind of made an impact on you or was a big impact moment for your team? If, if there's something that kind of pops in your mind and you just want to go into a, a quick story for the listeners real quick. And Well, one would probably be Mark Reppy. Uh, Mark has played basically our sixth man the whole year. And early in the year, we, um, we had a qualifying for our first tournament and he did not make it. And then we went to the first tournament. The team didn't play well. The next tournament I had, all nine players were going to play in the next tournament. So five on the team and then four individuals. Well, Mark was one of those individuals. I didn't have qualifying for that event. He didn't even have a chance to qualify for that event. So he just went as an individual. So we came in, and before we were going to qualify for the match play championship, he came in and he said, Coach, I'm upset. I said, what are you upset about? And he said, well, I'm upset because uh, the team went up there and finished last or 13th. And you came back and you didn't even give us a chance to qualify. And I said, oh, so you thought that was unfair? He said, yes, sir, I did. And I said, well, I'm glad you said that because I understand exactly why you would think that was unfair. But Mark, you need to understand if we had to go to the national championship tomorrow, uh, I would take that same five if we could not have qualified. So your job is not to get mad at me about that. Your job is to show me why I'm wrong. And so Mark won a playoff to get into the match play team. And they played beautifully in the match play championship. And he's been playing ever, better ever since. And this week we substituted him in when Ryan Greider got injured and Mark played very well. So the, the, that told me a couple of things. One, that Mark was comfortable enough and I was vulnerable enough to him to come and tell me his true feelings. He didn't like what I had done and he was respectful about it. And that's all I ask out of a player. If you disagree with something I'm telling you or I'm doing, all bets are off. You can come and you can come and tell me it's wrong as long as you're respectful. And he was respectful and I was respectful back to him. So that right there, that moment in time when Mark had a chance to be immature and unhappy and bitter and whatever, he told he chose to do just the opposite. He said, "You're right, coach. My job is to show you why you're wrong." 
and he's played really a lot better ever since. So while that's kind of a personal thing, it wasn't that personal. It was the truth is he was honest about his feelings and I was open to letting him tell me those feelings and he's grown and I've grown and our relationship's gotten much better because of the honesty. So that's probably the, the biggest moment of the year other than winning a big 12 match play championship, but you can't control the other one. Uh, winning can't control that but we can kind of control how he and I have a relationships together and uh, his honesty was great and I hope my vulnerability to allow him to tell me that he was welcome to do that so it's kind of an unusual thing that maybe uh, doesn't always happen definitely no that's great uh, we're on to a part of the podcast now that we like to do for a little bit of fun uh, we call it the twilight nine so we compare it to playing nine holes in the summer trying to beat the sun uh, we're going to do nine questions, rapid fire. Just first thing that pops into your head, just spit it back at me and we'll go from there. Sound good? Okay, perfect. Awesome. Uh, what's your go-to pre-round meal? Uh, probably, well, it's morning, so I would say eggs and bacon. Uh, favorite on-course snack? Uh, power bar. Uh, your favorite golf course that you've ever played? Olympia Fields. Um, what's the... Best golf tournament to watch on TV? Masters. Uh, what's your golf brand of choice? Ping, Titleist. What's your current pump-up song? Oh, gosh. I, something by George Jones or Willie Nelson. It, you can't, modern day, I can't get pumped up with this stuff. <laughs> nice. Uh, what's the hardest exercise to do in the gym? Hardest exercise to do in the gym? Uh, the gauntlet. It's a Stairmaster machine. It, it kills most men, but I do it every morning. Nice. Uh, <laughs> what is the best movie of all time? Can be golf or otherwise. Shawshank Redemption. And what's your favorite sports team? Favorite sports team would be the Dallas Cowboys. Awesome. Uh, that's our Twilight Nine, something we like to do on the show here for a little bit of fun. Uh, real quick before we let you go, Coach, just to make sure that the listeners really get the, the most out of this episode, a couple more questions for you. Uh, first one is just for players who are in high school or at junior golf level now, uh, looking to play in college, looking for a chance to compete at the collegiate level. What would your biggest piece of advice be to them as, as they're looking forward to that? Well, one thing people always uh, preach, uh, dream big, dream big, and that's great. But you have to find a place where one, they want you and number two, where you fit. So it's, it's wonderful to dream to go to the number one team in the country, but if your scoring average is 76 in your senior year in high school, that's not where you're going to go. So make it a fit where you can develop as a player in college, not someplace where you'd be sitting the bench and never, ever see the light of day. Awesome. Uh, and then finish this sentence for me real quick. The best part of my job is? Um, relationships. We talked about it earlier. Yeah, it's Definitely. the best part. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, Coach, so one thing that I really want to make sure people hear a little bit more about is just your book, Better Than I Found It. It had a big impact on me. I know a lot of other coaches who have read it and enjoyed it. Uh, so just tell people real quick where they can find the book at and a little bit of what to expect if they get a copy and read it. Yeah, you know, all I think I've sold about 3,000 books and they've all been mailed out of my house. So uh, I didn't do a very good job of marketing it and or I, you can go to Amazon. And just type in better than I found it, and uh, it'll come up to a link. And, and uh, if, if I know you, I'll probably put a, a, a note in the, in the book before I mail it. But I do mail all the books out of my house. So it was a, uh, that was probably a mistake initially. 
Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Obviously, best of luck to you and your guys as you prepare for postseason and, and regionals and hopefully another NCAA tournament berth. Thanks a lot, Vince. Really appreciate you having me on today. That wraps up this episode of Making the Turn. Once again, a huge thank you to Coach McGraw. This was super awesome. I love every time I get to connect with him. He's been somebody who's been a huge influence on me, a huge impact on me and my coaching career. Somebody who is amazing. Uh, he really does a great job of helping as many people as he can. Uh, please make sure that you check out his book. It's called Better Than I Found It. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. You can hear a lot of his story in that book. We're definitely going to aim towards shooting a different podcast episode with Coach where he's able to kind of go into his whole story. As you guys can tell, just in his last uh, story from this podcast, he's an awesome storyteller. He does a great job of talking through different scenarios and how he learns from it, how his players learn from it. So definitely want to give him the chance to just come on and tell some stories. But wanted to get you guys a quick update from a coach who was there at the Big 12 Championships and what that looked like in the Greenbrier in West Virginia. Uh, really excited that I was able to get this episode to you guys. Can't wait for the new stuff we've got coming on the podcast. Uh, make sure that if you're watching on YouTube, you check it out on iTunes. And if you're listening on iTunes, check it out on YouTube. You can always watch, listen, or uh, hear the podcast in multiple different places. So make sure that you're liking the podcast. Make sure you're subscribing and make sure that you're sharing this with some more people. Let's really continue to grow the podcast. Let's really get making the turn to take off. Um, and I'll continue to get the, you guys some really awesome guests and help you learn and improve improve as much as you can. So thank you so much for tuning in. This is Vince Drummond. I'm out of here.